Hey, Brock, how are you? Doing well, John. How are you? Excellent. I am uh, I'm wearing some summer pants today. I've got their orange sherbet bonobos that are like, to me, they're, they're the summer weight chinos, and it, to me it signals it's like summertime. It's official. Yeah, it's official. Some white sneakers. Man, summer day. Nice. Yeah, I'm 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 going full Tucson right now. I got the uh, I got sweat shorts uh, from H and M, uh, which is unfortunate, but um, they're the best fitting ones I could find. <laughs> so I'm doing shorts and a t-shirt, and uh, got my my Seiko five on the camo strap. So I'm I'm going super super casual casual Mondays. Yeah, your your home office work from home casual kind of day, kind of day. Oh yeah, yeah. I'm you know cars in the shop. There's really no chance that I'm leaving the house today. So that's I dressed accordingly. Uh, I saw also you posted that I guess Peter Manning's doing more casual wear now. Yeah, they just came out with. Well, actually, I don't know if they just came out with it, but they might have re like retweaked and re-released their uh, sweatpants and zip-up hoodies. Um, and of course, they have a you know chino shorts and casual button-ups and stuff like that. So. Yeah, I'm working with them on a post about basically work from home style. You know, like what to wear when you're going super casual, but you still want to look good enough to, you know, run to the coffee shop or run to the mailbox or I don't know, do whatever, or just not feel like you're, you know, slobbing around in your pajamas all day. Um, so yeah, it's pretty and it's pretty cool if you know for if anybody's listening who's five eight or under um, t- to be able to put on a, a pair of jogging pants that actually fits. You know, that just like Hits the hits right at the ankle and uh, and isn't too long. That's this is the first time I think ever that that's happened. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I guess I don't even really think of five eight being that short, but I guess you're on the other side of the bell curve for fit styles, you know. Yeah, and it, it, that's the thing. But even average, I mean, you, most jogging pants I think come in like I'd say thirty two inch inseam max or, or minimum you know so you don't find anything shorter than that a lot of them are like 34 inches e- even if you get like an extra small say from under armor or nike it's going to be 32 inches which you know i a guy who's five seven say would probably need something closer to 29 inches so they just they don't make sweatpants and uh, at least most brands don't make sweatpants with different inseams so i thought that was pretty cool well as well speaking of that and fits and everything i think my anybody watching my channel knows that Bonobos to me is like the the epitome of perfect fit for me. They were bought. It was confirmed last week by Walmart. So now I'm looking forward to. I don't think I'll stop shopping there entirely. I don't have a vendetta against big companies, big brands, but I think this is a perfect opportunity to now reevaluate where I get my pants from and just look at, at what other brands are doing great things that I might not have paid attention to when I was buying almost exclusively from Bonobos. Yeah, that is, it seems like such a crazy acquisition because those two brands just don't seem aligned at all. Uh, granted, I, I know sometimes with these things, they, they don't touch the brand, you know, it just kind of operates under their umbrella, but it's, it doesn't, you know, nothing changes. Although, yeah, it could change people's opinions on it who maybe don't want to support a big company. Um, but but yeah, that, it's just uh, it's, it's a weird acquisition, you know. I, probably a lot of people feel the same way. Well, let me outline it as I would if I were to do a follow-up video, yeah, and, and as brief as I could. So, 
when Walmart bought Jet.com, Mark Lore, the CEO, became the CEO of e-commerce for Walmart. So his goal is to now essentially capture the customers that Amazon has with their prime customers, which is the higher income, younger customer, which does not shop at Walmart. They shop at Amazon or they shop at Whole Foods, Trader Joe's. And so Mark Lore is now going after the these other smaller brands and trying to build up this group of uh, what this, this is actually a term coined by Andy Dunn at Bonobos, digitally native vertical brands, which Bonobos is like the, the flagship of those. They also bought Mod Cloth, which was actually a Pittsburgh company, which did like vintage women's clothing. Typically, I think they did mostly plus sizes or catered to plus sizes. And then also Shoe Buy and a couple other brands. So now what's interesting about this, now that the details have come out, is that Andy Dunn will now have this like role as the head of the native brands. So he will report to Mark Lore, but all of the brands, Jet, Bonobos, Modcloth, they'll all stay very separate for Walmart as kind of their own separate company. And so it'll, it's kind of like, um, it's kind of like with a car brand, like not many people know that, uh, you know, Audi and Volkswagen and um, Lamborghini and all these other brands are owned by the, the Volkswagen group. And so now it's just going to be, you know, there should be a dozen other brands out there that are actually owned by jet.com slash Walmart. So hmm. big news stuff. Yeah. You, you see that same thing happening a lot in the watch industry where you have these, these giant corporations that own a bunch of brands and they, you know, depending on the brand, it could be its own little entity or it could share certain aspects with, you know, the larger company, like maybe, maybe it shares their, uh, their movements, you know, their in-house movements, or, or something like that. Um, but I, so do you think we're going to see more of this? Like, for example, do you think we could see Amazon buy Warby Parker or something like that? Yes, yes, yes. We will. I think we're in right now the beginning of the hockey stick of M and A in this industry. Uh, I think the video I might do on Wednesday of this week is about Untuck It. Untuck It raised thirty million dollars. I think I can't remember. We talked about that offline, but that's just a signal to say that like there's a lot of investment going into this industry for companies that understand the digital co- consumer, which most traditional brands don't. That's what makes Nordstrom very unique is that they did invest in e-com very early in store experiences. So they're very well positioned for the future, but companies like Macy's and JCPenney are really struggling to capture that. And so a company like Untucket that comes in and says, look, we've captured the digital customer. We've built this brand, give us a bunch of money to keep going. You'll see that. And then, uh, yeah, I mean, with the Whole Foods acquisition uh, by Amazon, there's no uh, there is no company too big to essentially get bought up now by by another larger company, especially in the in the men's space, keeping this tailored to men. Sure. That's crazy. It almost feels like an arms race you know, between Walmart and Amazon. It, exactly. And th- there's an interview that I linked to in my Walmart Bonobos video with the CEO of formerly Jet.com, now CEO of Walmart e-commerce, where he lays that strategy out exactly. And uh, I think it's only going to continue to get it more interesting. Plus, and this is another video that I'd like to do in this series, Amazon is making huge, huge inroads and investments into retail itself. They're launching their own brands, like their own menswear brands within Amazon.com, but they have the manufacturing expertise to really to really push those and, and move it forward, but they don't necessarily have the clout from a branding perspective, which might be their struggle, but they really compete on price. So if you can get something that's pretty good quality for low price, that's the customers that they're capturing with their retail. It's just, uh, it, it's it's super interesting. Yeah, yeah. Andy over at Primer Magazine does a lot of uh, outfits and, and style posts with uh, 
using exclusively stuff that he gets on Amazon. I think a lot of it is actually their, yeah, their own, their own stuff. You know, not not third-party uh, brands. And uh, yeah, it seems like it's getting better and better. I haven't tried it yet. I kind of want to do a couple of posts or videos, just attempting to you know put together entire outfits using Amazon, uh, Amazon menswear stuff. Um, but it seems like it's it's pretty good value for the money. Um, have you tried that stuff yet? Yeah, that is certainly to me. If I were a brand, if I were Bonobos, or if I were um, another company out there, I would be frightened by the level of quality that Amazon was able to produce. Buttoned down is their is their current like private labels. If you search Amazon for buttoned down, buttoned down shirts, uh, they're just like dress shirts in blue and white. Uh, but they're this. Pima cotton. They're super soft. They fit really well. Like I did that. They were included in my dress shirt roundup video and uh, they're like 40 bucks. And it's like mm. it's low price, acceptable quality. It's not going to be, you know, you're not going to have the brand behind it like Brooks Brothers or something else. But uh, it's definitely, it would definitely be frightening to me, frightening to me as a brand or a company making shirts. Yeah. Speaking of uh, cool small brands who are doing really well, uh, Mac Weldon, I know you're a big fan, and uh, you just released a review type video of their, I guess, new swim trunks. That's a new product for them. Yeah, they hadn't done swim before, unless they did it a few years ago, and I didn't know about it. But they did amphibious underwear, which I'm not, I'm not crazy about wearing underwear with my with my swimsuits. But this is their this is their trunk. They also did a board short. I'm more into the trunks, like you said in your in your video. It's all about that. Showing, your, showing some like, don't be ashamed of it, guys. Mm -hmm. And uh, I really like the material that it's made out of. I like the fit on me. It was like, it was perfect. And uh, I like, you know, just all these little details that make Mack Weldon that kind of standout product. I really enjoy. Yeah, I, I do agree with the um, the one thing you said about, uh, well, they, they, def they looked awesome. They looked like they fit perfectly. Um, but yeah, putting the care instructions and kind of like the inside out label, uh, I'm never sure because I have a couple pairs of uh, boxer or like boxer briefs from them, and I'm never sure if I'm putting them on inside out. <laughs> I can't because they're just they're different than other underwear, you know. So I always have to check, and I always end up end up doing it wrong. Yeah, at least it's it, they're pretty much reversible. I mean, it's not like some of my other underwear where the inside is a slightly different finish than the outside. Uh, but yeah, I, I definitely get that. Yeah, man, I'll check those out. Yeah, my, my problem is I can't find uh, slim enough swim trunks, you know, and th those look like they're pretty slim. Oh, yeah, they're slim. <laughs> but you were posting about style hacks this week, and so what uh, what things should I be doing to improve my style pretty easily? Yeah, six men's style hacks that uh, everybody should know. I, I think some of them probably a lot of people already know about. I think I think one of uh, one of the cool ones that I discovered out of necessity was the the shirt collar adjustment. And this is when you uh, when you have a, a shirt collar that's a little bit too tight, and you can actually just uh, take the button off the top button. And usually there's about, about a centimeter um, or maybe a half centimeter even between where the button is and and where the end of the placket is. And so you can actually just take it off and move it over and sew it back on. And it's usually enough leeway to loosen the collar up so you can wear it comfortably. So I thought that was kind of a cool little, that's one of those, you know, it's like you're getting dressed for a wedding or something. And it turns out you haven't worn that shirt ever with a tie. And uh, you're like, oh, crap, this is too tight. You know, and so it's one of those little things you can do real quick. 
Oh, yeah. I, I think I have like a half an inch on, on the shirt I'm wearing right now. There's plenty of space to make that adjustment. That's a good one. Yep, yep. You can also tighten it up a little bit. You know, if, if the collar's too uh, too loose and you're getting that weird, you know, turtleneck gap, um, you can tighten it up. So that's kind of cool. Um, yeah, there was a couple other other neat ones in there. Um, you know, the, the, the pin roll your pants. I did a uh, tutorial about shortening your shoelaces. So if you ever have shoelaces that are too long, Kind of flopping around and you're tripping over them, you can uh, you can basically cut them, cut off the ends, and then you use heat shrink tubing, which is like you can get it from the hardware store from Amazon, and you can get it in any color. So you can add, uh, you know, regular colors or clear. You can add like a little colorful tip to your shoelaces because you're basically replacing those little tips, and uh, you just you know cut a half inch of that, use a lighter, and shrink it on the end, and then you've got shorter shoelaces. That's that's a little one that I've done for for a few years now that I think uh, I think people don't know about. So, you know, I do have that trouble because my feet are long but slim, and so my shoes are typically tied about as tight as I can get them, where the uh, that they're basically touching on both sides underneath the shoelaces, and so that's mm -hmm. definitely one. Mine, one of mine, I, I don't know if if you covered this is uh, if you use a if you use your girlfriend's or your wife's curling iron to actually use that on your collar of your shirt in order to give yourself like a crisp roll around the collar. That's one that I picked up from somebody I had years ago. I can't even remember. But like especially in your Oxford shirts, if you have the collar that kind of rolls up or it doesn't really sit right, I use my wife's curling iron to like press that together and, and iron it very quickly and easily. Interesting. So, so is that to get – like on an Oxford cotton, is that to get like that perfect collar roll look, or is that to fix a collar that's that's bending and getting warped? It's either one. Uh, sometimes when I wash them, like on the back of the collar, it won't sit originally where you like to have that crease fold down, so it doesn't like lay down all the way. And so you're yeah. just making sure you have the right crease. But then also, yeah, if you if you're looking to get um, a cleaner look on the Oxford, then you're able to kind of press it down and, and have it have it sit properly. So. That was one that uh, I've done that on dress shirts too. I mean, it works on those as well. That's cool. Yeah, actually, the the, the style hacks video is sponsored by um, Fashion Anchor, which is a, a company that Aaron Marino owns, and uh, you you can use that for to get similar results. Uh, they're they're like these little, they're they look like glue dots, but they're not. Uh, they're a different substance that is uh, better for fabric. Like it doesn't leave any residue. Um, but yeah, you can use that for all, all sorts of things. Like the one I showed in the video was, you know, when you wear a polo shirt for a long time and it, it, the collar starts to get all, all weird and kind of separates from the shirt and starts to bend and everything. Uh, you can stick one of these under, under the collar and kind of stick it down to the shirt or like stick it to your, like on the inside of your placket. Like if say your second button's a little too low and your top button's a little too high or something like that, you can kind of create a, a new button with one of these little things. So. I think I got yeah, one of those details. like that in one of those gentlemen's boxes or Spreza boxes. I think I got a little, I think I got a four pack of those, and I keep saving them for when I need them because that's like a, I'll be like, yes, so glad I have these. Exactly, yeah, that's that's like a you know breaking case of emergency type thing. <laughs> I know. I should put it. I should just keep it in my suitcase. I'm like, oh, I'm always ready, always ready to go. Put in my dop kit. That would be perfect. Yeah, man. Well, neat. Well, every week we try to switch off between company founder, YouTuber. This week is interesting. It's Justin Jeffers who started the Fine Young Gentleman blog, but he's also now started Jay Butler Footwear. And so 
kind of got the best of both worlds. We talked to him about moving from you know, starting his blog over to starting a shoe company and uh, everything in between. So we'll throw it over to Justin now. All right. Well, we're here with Justin Jeffers, creator, founding editor of The Fine Young Gentleman, which is a mentor blog that's been around for a while now. So uh, kind of one of the original uh, style blogs, uh, independent style blogs. And then more recently, founder of Jay Butler Leather Goods. So uh, a uh, company that's focusing, especially right now, on shoes. So, Justin, uh, how you doing? Oh, I'm doing well. How are you, Brock and John? Doing great. Excellent. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. So, uh, we'd like to get to know you a little bit. If you could tell us, you know, what were you doing before you started your, I guess, your two different brands? You know, where are you from? What were you doing uh, before you started all this stuff? And then why did you strike out on your own? Good question. So my, my, I guess you could say my like formal academic background is in accounting and finance. I studied accounting at Villanova University outside Philadelphia, graduated from there in 2010 and moved up to New York City uh, in September of 2010 and worked at Deloitte & Touche. Uh, soon into my tenure at Deloitte, I, for a number of reasons, got more interested in menswear. Um, one of the large reasons was because I wanted to dress well at work, and I felt like the Joseph A. Banks and the Ralph Lauren's and the Brooks Brothers of the world were you know, leading me astray in terms of the type of clothing and the quality of fit and make and style. Um, and, and a lot of the resources that I saw out there for men were either focusing on um, kind of like lifestyle porn stuff, so your $5,000 suits from Savile Row or you know, some of the Italian houses, or streetwear, and I wasn't interested really in either of those, or at least none of them really applied to what I was looking for. Um, so, you know, back then, I think the only blogs I remember reading was like a suitable wardrobe. Uh, Gentleman's Gazette had just started, um, Continuous Lean. You know, there weren't many other ones out there, and so it was the it was around April of 2011 when I started the Fine Young Gentleman, uh, which my friends still kind of make fun of me for um, and thought it was a total joke back then but now that I've been doing it for over six years they're like wait this is actually like legitimate and then a couple years into blogging and still working at Deloitte I realized that accounting certainly was not what I wanted to do with my life and that I wanted to get into menswear more as like a career um, and I wanted to start a business so then it was about figuring out you know where are the voids in the market what are my readers asking me for you know, what have I not been able to recommend to them because I don't think there are any good options. Um, so between that feedback and then talking with a couple other buddies, um, it became pretty apparent that there was no real good uh, brand focusing on or supplying uh, casual loafers for under 200 bucks. Like guys would be like, where can I get a great pair of like, you know, beater loafers that I can wear to work, but I can also wear them out on the weekend and not spend over $200. That $200 price point was really that kind of mental barrier that a lot of guys seem to have. Um, and they didn't want to get boat shoes, you know, they're like, I graduated college, I need to grow up, like, I need to dress up, I can't wear boat shoes to work. And I was like, honestly, guys, like, I don't really have anything for you. You know, if you want to spend 300 bucks, there's a bunch of options, but, you know, a lot of the stuff for under $200, I didn't think it was really, you know, uh, a good option, whether that was a matter of uh, construction uh, or materials quality or a matter of the style. Um, so kind of out of that, Jay Butler was born. That's awesome. So... What were there other things that because you had been blogging for a while and you definitely had your finger on the pulse? You'd done a bunch of reviews of different brands. I remember you were <coughs> one of the first. You were one of the first um, bloggers to do a lot of like made-to-measure reviews for the new online yeah. made-to-measure companies. So th were there any other product lines or types of 
of products or garments that were in the running uh, alongside of loafers, or, or were you definitely, you know, 100% focused on? Yeah, the shoes? so so I definitely thought about some other stuff, and um, you know, as you point out, I've, I've written a lot about some of the online brands, you know, Chino, Black Lapel, Not Standard, you know, all those brands, and that's been a lot of fun. And that's a, a big, you know, that probably represents half my content are, are those reviews. Because um, I saw when I started the blog, there were a lot of these brands that were starting to pop up online for guys like me who wanted to dress well but didn't necessarily have the knowledge or the means to afford the super nice stuff. So we were looking for new brands or other brands. So it, it, the timing was really, you know, quite good for me. And so we, I ran through a couple of other ideas. You know, there was an accessories like subscription service. Uh, I thought about doing custom suits, custom shirts, ties. Uh, you know, I thought about dress shoes. I thought about outerwear. I, I really thought about pretty much everything, um, you know, on the more formal side of things. I didn't really gravitate towards, like, casual stuff like pants, like bonobos or chubbies, you know, shorts. Um, I didn't really gravitate towards, like, polo shirts, um, stuff like that. I wanted something that would be a little more difficult, that maybe the barrier to entry was a little higher. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, I realized a lot of those things, the barrier wasn't super high. Um and shoes, you know, out of all the things, I think had a slightly higher barrier to entry, um, and also something that I think was most needing of help. Um, you know, there was, I mean, and, and you, you guys probably see this all the time. You know, it's almost like every month there's a new brand that, that we get an email for saying, "Oh, review our custom suits, or review our custom shirts." And there's so many of them, and it, it's such a cons- customer service centric and intensive business that I didn't want to get into that. Um, shoes have their own set of problems. You know, I, I thought about a lot of things, but each kind of thing had its own reason why I decided against it, you know, and, and ended up settling on the shoes. Was this mostly intuition, feedback from your readers, uh, you know, talking to friends and just kind of understanding the industry, or were you using any of your business accounting background, you know, doing research, crunching numbers, et cetera? Uh, total combination of, of everything. It was, I think it was first, you know, starting with the ideas and the products and, and you know, for any business, you know, for anyone wanting to start a business, especially if it's in like menswear and, and you're selling physical products, you really have to love the product um, if you're going to do it you know, yourself, um, especially if you want to like self-fund and, and stuff like that. You really have to love the product. You have to love the space. You have to love the industry. So that, that for me, you know, I already had that one checked off. Um, so I knew that was, that was easy. In terms of figuring out, you know, okay, is it a numbers thing or idea thing? Yeah, a lot of it was feedback from the readers. You know, saying, okay, that, you know, there's definitely a void for this type of product. Um, you know, because I was getting able to answer questions on, oh, where can I get a $500 custom suit? Okay, well, you can go to these three or four places and you'll be happy with at least one of them. But shoes, I was like, well, you know, maybe check out this place, maybe check out that brand or, you know, up your budget to 250 or 300 um, So to me, that was a big sign. Um, and I saw, uh, the other part was I saw brands like, you know, to me, there's three characteristics for, you know, a great shoe and really most items of clothing, there's the construction quality, the quality of materials. Well, yeah, it's the, it's the construction and, and materials quality. It's the style, and it's the price. And I saw a lot of shoes that maybe had one or two of those things, and then another pair of shoes that had a different one or two of those things. I was like, well, why can't you have all three? Like, if there's these overlap of these three characteristics, why can't you just have them all in one thing? So I knew it was possible. I just didn't really understand why nobody was doing it. Um, and then, you know, there was the number side you know, the, the desire of, you know, an accountant to like look at numbers and, and see if it all makes sense. Um, 
to be honest, that was probably a secondary concern of mine when I, when I was starting. Uh, you know, it was more, hey, let's do this and let's get it going and let's have fun with it um, and kind of let the passion guide because hopefully if there's enough passion, you can kind of will yourself to, you know, launching of a, of a brand um, and hopefully will yourself to some level of success. There, there was a number side of it, but I would say the the passion and the feedback I was getting from readers and friends and people in the industry and other brands I was talking to, some of the soup brands and Thai brands um, who seemed to agree with the idea. I was like, okay, that, that to me is a proof of concept um, that, that this is a viable and sellable product. So what was your first step when you're thinking you want to start making these? Do you start talking to uh, manufacturers and start sourcing leather? What was your first step after you, you, you know you want to do shoes? So the, the first thing, and I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this to everybody. I may have done things a little bit out of order. You know, the first thing I did was leave my job at Deloitte. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, then, so I left the job and I was like, okay, so now how the hell do I start a shoe company? Um, whereas I should have said, okay, how the hell do I start a shoe company and then left the job? Um, having a stable paycheck is a pretty nice thing. And as you know, you know, John, um, you know, when you're doing the blogging stuff in the, in the background and, you know, when you're starting a brand, you know, I thought, oh, I'm going to launch this brand in six months and it'll be good to go and this is going to be easy. And that was so, so, so wrong. It took like 18 months to launch. So the first step, uh, you know, aside from, you know, leaving my job and, and deciding I was going to do this, um, was figuring out how I was going to do this. Um, you know, what are the steps in, in designing shoes and developing shoes? What do you need to have made? And in, in my case, it was figuring out, okay, this is the exact type of shoe I want. I want a moccasin loafer. I want to do, um, originally it was a, the Shipley tie loafer, our model, the Shipley is basically a hybrid between, um, you know, a driving shoe, uh, and a penny loafer. We take the sole of the penny loafer, you know, the leather sole with the heel and the upper of the driving shoe. And I knew what I wanted the shoe to look like. So I have that sketched out on paper and then, you know, okay, what do I need next? Okay. I need a last. So I was talking to, um, you know, shoe designers, shoe makers. I talked to a bespoke maker here in Pennsylvania. You know, I visited a couple factories uh, up in Maine and learned about kind of the process of how the shoes are made. Um, and then slowly after a few months of all this research and, and talking to, you know, uh, people, even though they weren't in shoes, the process of starting any type of apparel is somewhat similar where you figure out what, what do you want the final product to look like, then you have to get uh, sketches and, and uh, you know, samples made. So then I was going to trade shows and, and you know, getting samples made um, after I had the last made. So I, I may have done things slightly out of order. Um, I would recommend to you know, guys who are listening to this who are interested in starting a business, maybe get a little more further along in the process before leaving a steady paycheck. Uh, you know, it would have been nice to maybe have another six months of, of work. Because um, in the beginning, there was a lot of downtime. You know, maybe I'd only be working on Jay Butler for a couple hours a day. You know, I made up the time working on the blog, which was great for me because I was able to build a blog audience um, in, in that period of time. But if you don't have that, then you may end up having a lot of downtime. Like you can't necessarily rush a factory through their sampling process. You know, sometimes factories just take a long time to do stuff, and it's frustrating, but that's how they do it. Did you care where the shoes were made at the beginning, or were you were you open to having them made you know, in any country, I guess, or, or was it, was that even a factor? Good question. And yes, I, well, yes and no. Um, I didn't so much as care where they were made. Uh, I cared that they were made well and that they were made in a factory that, you know, I would feel comfortable being in myself. And that wasn't, you know, um, 
you know, poor working conditions, like the, you know, the horror stories we hear about in Bangladesh and India and not so much in China anymore. Um, but I didn't want to, you know, be supporting, you know, sweatshop labor or kind of unethical labor. So I didn't rule out any countries or, or regions initially. Um, I first went out to uh, the uh, um, magic sourcing shows in Vegas, um, and the booths there for shoes were mostly uh, from China and India and, and Vietnam. And I worked with some of those suppliers. I ended up going down to Mexico to visit a trade show down there a few weeks later, um, which I never thought I was going to go into Mexico. I was thinking I'd maybe be going to Spain or Portugal. Um, if India or China didn't work out, um, but ended up uh, working out with Mexico. Um, there was a large cultural difference and language difference and also geographic distance between the Asian region and where I'm in Philadelphia. So that was a concern for me. The other thing was minimums. Um, you know, a factory in China, you know, a lot of them wanted, you know, two, three, four, five thousand pair minimums. And I'm like, okay, well, that's not going to happen for me. Um, that's a lot of shoes. Whereas in, in Mexico, and from what I hear in Spain and Portugal, the minimums can be a lot lower. Um, so that was, you know, those two things were deciding factors. And then upon visiting Mexico, you know, it was a lot closer. It just seemed like a good fit. The people were very hospitable, very nice. A lot of the owners I met, you know, were were very you know honest and forthright about their businesses, um, and I like that. And they took me right in the factory, showed me what they were doing, how they were doing it, and I felt you know safe there and felt like a good product was being made. Um, so that was a big thing for me. And even to this day, when you know I've worked with some other factories in Mexico, it's the same thing. You know, if I'm not comfortable being in the factory, then I you know shouldn't expect someone else to be comfortable working in a factory. And you know, I. I looked over the idea of sourcing in the U.S., but there's really not the capacity, especially in this type of shoes in the U.S. Um, there's like a handful of factories that make hand-sewn moccasins, but half of them won't make for other brands. Um, and it's expensive. Uh, you know, people complain about loss of American manufacturing jobs, but, you know, it's it's more than just complaining about it. There's actual systemic issues with bringing manufacturing back. It's, you know, automation. It's people not wanting to do the type of work. Um, so as a result, there's not a lot of capacity left for these types of shoes in the United States. But fortunately, there are, is a lot left in Mexico. Um, so Mexico has been a good fit for me. Justin, it's actually kind of fascinating that you might be the fourth person that has told us they tried to source in the U.S. originally, and it just can't be done. And it's I think it's it's something where it seems like an opportunity where if somebody has a manufacturing expertise to get a smaller scale, like we, we just talked to uh, a guy who said that the the factory was just rude to him because he was trying to get some prototypes made, and that just seems like a huge opportunity. Yeah, it, you know, it is. Um, like, I'm helping a friend now who, she has like a, a children's clothing brand, I'm helping her a little bit with domestic sourcing, and she's like, yeah, I, I email these people or talk to them, and yeah, they're kind of like rude to me, or they're like, they put me off a little bit. Um, and you know, I don't know if it's because they're jaded or they get people reaching out to them all the time and they get sick of people asking to make samples and nothing comes of it. You know, I, I don't know what it is because I haven't dealt with any of these factories myself. It, it is an opportunity, but to scale, you know, pair manufacturing to a large degree is, I'm not going to say it's impossible, but it, the, the barriers are so high um, that it's almost like not worth it here. You know, the, the people don't want to do the work. You know, the, the, the cost to start are too high and you know, to make your money back is going to take too long. Um, and just training workers, like it's going to take, you know, it's, it's tough, man. Um, and then, you know, like it may take, you know, let's say it takes two hours of, of labor per pair of shoes. 
And, you know, in the U.S., let's say the wage is $10 an hour, but maybe in China it's $2 an hour. Maybe in Mexico it's $5 an hour. You know, but that cost adds up really quickly. Um, and, and that brings up the cost of your production really quickly. And to be honest, the way that they make shoes in Mexico and sometimes in China and India and Spain and Portugal, you know, at the end of the day, it's humans that are making the shoes. You know, whether humans are in the United States or they're somewhere else, you know, they can, they're just as capable of making the shoes just as well. Um, anywhere else, um, you know, there may be a little more experience, uh, you know, or track record here, um, but you know, with proper training and, and proper experience, you know, people can make really good stuff. And you know, I found that in Mexico, um, you know, they're not perfect on quality control front, which we're working on, um, but it's you know, it's really tough in the U.S. You know, and now with automation, and you know, we we hear about uh, like sobots um, and and automated. Uh, sewing and pair manufacturing, um, you know, it, it, at the end of the day, pair manufacturing is really one of the lowest forms of manufacturing. So if we're going to bring back anything to the United States, it's not going to be a pair manufacturing. It's going to be other stuff. So, so Justin, you're, uh, you spent 18 months, you know, making your prototypes and working with the factories and which, you know, three times longer than you thought it was going to take. And you're <laughs> finally, finally ready to launch something. How important, I guess, how did you launch it? And then how important was your blog, The Fine Young Gentleman, uh, for the launch of this company? Great question. Um, and in short, the blog has been, was and has continued to be super helpful for Jay Weller uh, for a number of reasons. The launch, you know, it, it, to be honest, it kind of like snuck up on me. It was one of those things where until it actually happened, like I didn't know it was going to happen. I was like, ah, like, I don't know, like maybe we're going to launch next week. Like the shoes are supposed to cross over the border next week and then they're going to get to the warehouse and then you know, the warehouse is going to put them in the inventory and, you know, and it's just like one thing after another, and it's just, you know, a delay here and a delay there. And after, you know, 10 of those delays, you know, a couple days per delay, you're just like, oh, my God, is this ever going to happen? Um, so when it actually happened, it was the eve of Thanksgiving uh, 2014, and I was just so excited. I was like, all right, I'm, I'm making this thing live. Like, I'm going to start selling this stuff. And then, you know, I've been talking about it for a few months on the blog, and obviously all my friends and family had been hearing me drone on about shoes for a couple years, and half the people didn't think it was going to happen, and half the people were like, okay, he's, he's actually going to do this. And so when I launched, the, the, the first you know, announcement was really through Jay, or through Fine and Gentlemen, obviously. And uh, the readership in my blog has been, it's really been uh, an honor how much it's supported me, you know, through Jay Butler. And, uh, you know, fans of the blog have been reading for years who, you know, and I'm sure you have this, Brock, you know, on your blog since you've been doing it for a couple of years. You know, someone will just send you an email and say, hey, you know, really like this post, been reading you for a couple of years. And, like, you, we have no idea. Like, we see these general stats from Google Analytics saying, oh, you had X number of people come to your site this month, but you don't know, you know, who those people are, where they come from. So mm-hmm. it's really nice when people email and say, hey, you know, I found out about Jay Butler through your blog, started reading the blog in 2012, and, you know, I've been reading it since. Like, that's awesome. Um, and you know, it, it's, it's also validation, not only for the blog, but also for Jay Butler and also, so it's not just on, you know, the sales and, and marketing front, but also learning how to interact with customers, you know, meeting other bloggers like you and, 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 uh, you know, now John and, you know, Raphael and, and Antonio and, you know, some of the other guys who were out at man camp with in LA, you know, understanding how, you know, the content marketing and, and content side of a business works, um, you know, the blog has been really useful for that stuff. And also just meeting other uh, business owners. You know, a lot of guys who are in the menswear space, but maybe they're in custom suits or maybe they're in ties or socks. And we all face similar problems just with a different end product. And so it's been really nice to kind of have a group of guys who I've known for some of these guys, you know, 
six, five, you know, four years, um, and we built a, a rapport and a level of trust and respect amongst each other. So I can call them and be like, hey, like I'm going through this. Like, have you dealt with this? And they're like, yeah, dude, I've been there. It happens every now and then. It sucks, but you know, you just got to keep going. Like, whether it's lows and sales or supplier issues, like it's never easy. There's always something going wrong. Um, so it's mm-hmm. the blog has been really helpful. You know, establishing an audience helping launch the blog or sorry, launch the brand, meeting other, you know, bloggers and, and, and guys who've been nice enough like, like yourself, Brock, to write about the shoes. Um, and then just, you know, as a knowledge source, um, that was one of my big goals with Final Gentleman when I launched it was, you know, to get free clothes, to help guys dress better and to build a network within menswear as, as an industry. Um, and I, you know, I've achieved all three of those goals and it's been awesome. Yeah, I mean, I never really understood the power of a network until I was running my own. <clears throat> excuse me, until I was running my own operation. It's just amazing, you know. I mean, knowing guys like you know, like the two of you and and uh, a bunch of other bloggers and YouTubers and stuff. I mean, that you know, you you meet you meet people and years go by and you know, you build a relationship and then when you're ready and you need a favor, you know, you can ask. You can reach out to yeah. that network. Yeah, and the door's already open. And, you know, they're your buddies, they're your friends, and, you know, they're willing to help you. Sometimes you just have to ask, and they're more than willing to do so, which is awesome. Exactly, yeah. So what So what has been working, besides uh, using your own audience and, and your blog uh, as a vehicle, what, what has been working, you know, to build Jay Butler and sell products? Yeah, so it's, it's a number of things. Um, and, you know, it, it's, I guess I can liken it to, you know, your revenue streams on Modest Man where it's really, it's not one particular thing, it's a, a variety of things. Um, so for you, where you may have you know, ad revenue, affiliate revenue, uh, sponsored content revenue, and you know, maybe appearance fees or whatever else it is. You know, for, for Jay Butler, you know, our customers find us through a number of ways. There's you know, Final Gentleman and other blogs like The Modest Man. So that's, that's one path. There's you know, a word of mouth, which is obviously always great. Um, there's social media, Facebook, Instagram. We don't really do Pinterest or Snapchat. Um, I'm not sure that's really our customer base, but we, you know, when we do Facebook and, and Instagram, we get some decent results there, both on the organic side and also on the paid traffic side, which leads me into you know paid traffic, which is Facebook and Instagram, but also uh, Google AdWords um, and retargeting ads. We've done some uh, events like trunk shows and holiday shows. Um, and we've been featured in a couple larger publications like GQ, and Town and & Country, and Business Insider. So it's really a combination of those four or five things that have helped build the brand. Um, you know, some things give us sustained traffic, whereas other things are like a flash in the pan. You know, I, I haven't found a magic key as to what's the best thing. I think for us it's a combination of things. And it's, you know, like one month maybe it'll be we'll get a great post on, on a blog. The next month maybe... You know, we'll be at a trunk show and we'll have a bunch of follow-up sales from that. Um, so it, it it does vary, but it's a combination of things. Have you learned anything about uh, getting the big press? Uh, you know, the GQs of the world. Uh, do you really these days? Do you really need a PR agency to to get that, or can you get it? Uh, you know, can you do it the guerrilla marketing uh, style kind of way? Well, yes. Do you need a PR agency? Yes and no. We haven't used one. Um, we've done everything in house. Many things. You know, back to your point on a network. A lot of it goes back to who you know and your network. You know, I've been fortunate to to meet and be introduced to some people at some some larger publications who have either liked our product or our, my story or the brand, and they've been nice enough to write about us or feature us. You know, 
that said, would we have more mentions in some larger publications if we had a PR agency? Probably. But would it be worth the money? Maybe not. You know, some of those agencies are expensive. Man. Like I've talked to a couple of them, and most of them seem to start at a couple thousand dollars a month, which for a small brand like us, like there's no way we can afford that. Um, you know, for a larger company, or if you've just raised a bunch of money and you know you need to increase your sales like quick, then maybe it's a good option. But for Jay Butler, it's not really a good fit uh, to hire an agency. Um, or maybe if you're, you know, you have no way of meeting people personally who are at these publications, then maybe it's worth hiring an agency. Um, you know, someone who already has that network, so you're, so you're effectively paying for access to their network, but at the end, they, they still manage the connection. You don't get that network. They're, you're almost like renting it, um, which is, you know, that's how it's worked for, for decades, and that's fine. Um, you know, but Jay Butler, we've been fortunate to not have to do that. You know, but, it, but a lot of it depends on your objectives, you know, your, uh, you know, your, your budget, you know, and, and uh, you know, what's a good fit for your brand. Yeah, it makes sense. I've, I've heard a lot of mixed reviews about uh, modern day PR agencies too. You know, some some small companies have had a lot of success where they got a really solid mention that just happened to be on, you know, a, a site or a magazine or whatever that was just a really good fit and that paid off for months or years. And then I think yeah. mostly I, I've heard of small companies who wasted a bunch of money <laughs> on, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. on monthly retainers. And, and at the end of the day, that's a great point. Like PR is a totally crapshoot. Like, you know, we've had some big features where I was like, oh my God, this is going to like launch us into like a new level of sales. And then it does like nothing. And I'm like, what, what happened? Like, what do we do wrong? Like, is it the product? Is it the website? Is it, you know, did just not a lot of people see the magazine? Like, you know, what is it? And that's the tough thing about PR is you don't really know. You know, uh, John Wanamaker, a great Philadelphian, he was one who coined the term, you know, I think it was something like, you know, half of my marketing budget goes to waste. I just don't know which half. And PR <laughs> is, is very much the same thing. You know, yeah. maybe even more than half. I don't know. <laughs> so, so Justin, what is next for you and the brand and the blog? What are you up to that you uh, want to tell people about? First, I don't know if I can put in a shameless plug, but first, you know, I would like to tell people go buy our shoes. Uh, <laughs> um, but but we'll put no, that in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, oh no, you can edit that one out. But no, on a more serious front, you know, we, we just launched our spring. We try and do a spring and then a fall uh, colorway each year. Um, so this spring we launched a red suede bit loafer. Um, so that was fun. We'll have another launch in the fall. It's, uh, as a hint, it's in the similar color family as red, but not red. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. Probably launch that in August. You know, I've kind of been playing with the idea of doing dress shoes or sneakers um, for the last like year or so, but haven't really moved forward with it. Um, so that may end up happening. But I think really the bigger thing for Jay Butler um, and also for Fine Young Gentlemen, um, but Jay Butler, it's just growing our sales with what we have. We have, if you think of you know our brand as like a, a site like the Modest Man and the Fine Young Gentlemen, in terms of the content that we have in the brand, the products, they're great. Um, so we need to get that content out to more people. Um, so we need to focus on our marketing efforts and not get distracted by some other things. Um, as part of that, it's going to be getting out a lot of content, YouTube videos, branded videos, written content, you know, trying to build organic traffic, sustainable long-term traffic, but also um, some paid traffic. For the blog, it's going to be, you know, you and I spoke about this, you know, before the call, getting out a lot of YouTube content, you know, how-to videos for style, you know, reviews, unboxings, um, you know, maybe some business analysis stuff, um, which you've done some great ones, uh, John. You know, I saw uh, you know your bit on on bonobos 
um, and, and Jack Threads. So I want to, you know, I, I miss doing the blog, and I kind of lost focus of the blog the last couple of years, and I want to get more into that and and kind of resurrect it. I've been fortunate where the traffic has remained pretty steady. You know, I want to build that audience, um, and, and you know, fortunately, it's very complimentary to Jay Butler. So if I build the final German audience, it also helps Jay Butler. Um, so a lot of stuff in the next few months is going to be uh, content and social media. Uh, driven stuff. So I'm, I'm pretty excited. We have some great stuff in the works here at the office. I got two guys or a guy and a girl who helped me out with production of content and on the video and uh, photography side. Um, so, you know, I'm looking forward to getting that stuff public and uh, out to our readers and out to our fans. Awesome. Well, John, uh, do you have any other questions? No, I'm glad you found those uh, Jack Threads and Bonobos videos. Interesting. It's, it's, that's yeah, been my newest experiment. Brock and I have talked about that the past couple of weeks. Yeah, you know, I, I've talked to a lot of people about, you know, you know, the Walmart, the potential Walmart acquisition of Bonobos, you know, where it plays into Walmart's portfolio, and and uh, you know, as we know, retail is in a really tough spot right now. So I think you're going to have plenty of fodder for those videos in the next year. You know, whether it's companies, I think there's we're going to see a lot of companies that may go back to being private. Uh, like today, there are a bunch of articles that were put out of Nordstrom's, the Nordstrom family thinking of buying back Nordstrom's off the public market. You know, I think there's some other really good targets for that. Ralph Lauren, maybe, Anthropology, Urban Outfitters could be a good one. Um, you know, we hear J. Crew. I mean, every day, J. Crew is, you know, worse and worse news. Kind of case studies being done. Oh, well, what did they do wrong? What can we learn from, from J. Crew? Neiman Marcus is another one that's in a tough spot. Um, so retail and, and fashion and apparel are in a tough spot right now. I think menswear is, for the most part, in a good spot. Um, you know, the smaller brands are, but some of the more traditional uh, players are are going to have a tough time. Um, you know, whether it's caused by technology or Amazon or, um, you know, problems with department stores that represent a large share of their distribution. I think you have plenty to talk about in those, John. <laughs> yeah. Well, thank you, Justin. I, I actually didn't realize that I had read your blog uh, for the past year because I found you originally in the MTM reviews. And so that was right. that was pretty cool to connect with you. And we look forward to your fall. I'm sure you're almost finalizing your fall collection right now. Yeah. Thank you for having me, guys. It was really a pleasure. And, uh, you know, really appreciate you having me on and, and keep up the good work with your with your sites and your blogs. Cool. Thank you, Justin. Yeah, thanks, Justin. Thank you for listening to the Buttoned Up Podcast, a collaboration between John Shanahan of The Cavalier and Brock McGough of Modest Man, and we will see you next week.